Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to church planting. The context in which we plant churches influences the missional strategies we employ to maximize our disciple-making efforts. We wisely consider an area's demographic and cultural narrative when determining how to love our neighbors. Urban church planting has unique challenges and opportunities. The church planter may face the challenges of crime, poverty, the high cost of living, traffic, transiency, the difficulty of finding a meeting place for the church, and more. We plant churches in cities because God loves people, and there are a lot of people in cities who need the good news. Typically, we have seasoned church planters to tell us their stories on the podcast. Today, I'm excited to have a new planter with us to talk about his church planting journey in an urban context. Adam Mutasib is a Maryland native, and after completing an MDiv degree, he returned to plant Redemption City Church in Baltimore. He's married to Sherry, and they're raising two sons together. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you. So we need to begin this interview with a full disclosure, and that uh-huh. is Adam and I have been uh, we've been friends uh, for a good while now. Uh, we had the privilege of sending him uh, and a team out of IDC to uh, plant Redemption City in Baltimore, and Adam was uh, particularly close to me and still is, um, but traveled with me. I introduced him to many things and uh, took him many places, and now it's just great to to see this uh, young church thriving and and have you on the podcast. Um, we we have had you know younger church planters on the podcast before, but but you guys are really really young in it, and I think that's helpful for for our listeners to you know have a broad range of of uh, hearing from broad range of of church planters. Uh, many are trying to do what you're doing right now. Uh, and many of us remember those early days really well, uh, with great fondness, uh, as well as uh, many other emotions. So I want you to tell your story of how, how the work is going uh, at Redemption City. But before you do that, tell the listeners a little bit of your story, uh, how you came to faith, uh, a bit about your family. Yeah, well, it's an honor to be with you. I, I don't know anyone who's had more of an impact on my life and my ministry than you, so it's cool to chat with you. Uh, my story is a bit unique, uh, as far as church planners go, I guess. Uh, I'm my, I grew up in a Muslim family. Uh, my dad is from, uh, originally from Palestine and immigrated to Jordan when he was young and grew up in Jordan and then came to the United States when he was in his twenties and married my mom who's white. And uh, fun fact, my grandfather, my dad's dad had four wives. Yeah. Crazy, I know. My dad has like 30 brothers and 10 sisters. Wow. Yeah, I can ima- cannot imagine being that busy, uh, <laughs> that many wives. For real. <laughs> I tried to tell my wife it was a family tradition, but she wasn't having it. <laughs> yeah, man, you probably wouldn't be on the podcast if that were yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, yeah, he, he had like an Egyptian wife, you know, like a, a wife in Jordan, a wife in Palestine. Anyway, crazy stuff. Uh, I grew up in Germantown, Maryland in Montgomery County, outside D.C., and grew up following the five pillars of Islam. The basic tenet of, it, of Islam is, is earn your way to heaven. Have more good deeds on the scale than bad deeds, and you get in. 
Uh, so I went to the mosque every Friday, you know, all, all the whole drill, praying five times a day, uh, etc. And um, my mom, my parents were divorced. My mom started dating a guy named Rick. And Rick was going to like this seeker sensitive church, brought my mom and I. And I heard the gospel for the first time at like 12 years old after having grown up in like workspace religion my whole life. And I just was blown away by the gospel. Like, wait, wait a second. You're telling me that I just receive what's already been done by Jesus? I don't have to do anything? Like, there's no, you know, to do list? And it just blew me away. And uh, like 12 years old, I received the gospel. My mom and I actually received it together after watching the Jesus film uh, on the same day. Uh, so God's grace that I'm even a Christian. Uh, and then my dad afterwards just, he was incredibly disappointed, like many Muslim families are when their kids become Christians, and he abandoned me. He left the country. I didn't talk to him for 10 years. said I was a horrible son. Um, so I followed Jesus, you know, from 12 years old to about 20 in college, but it's what uh, Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Not a lot of discipleship, not a lot of lordship of Jesus in my life. Went to college and uh, tried the party scene, was doing all the wrong things. And then I actually started reading the Bible. Uh, a guy invited me to his house and just went through the scriptures. And we went through First John. And no one had ever like just gone through the Bible with me and taught it, like what it actually says in a way I can understand. And I remember reading of First John, if anyone claims to love God but doesn't do what he says that person's a liar mm -hmm. and I remember just like the Holy Spirit hitting me like did God just call me a liar because I ain't doing anything in this book I, I claim to love Jesus but I'm not following him and then from there I just went in fuego like reading the Bible non-stop uh, Philippians 121 was huge for me live as Christ dies gain and then from there I just dove headfirst into ministry uh, life completely changed uh, went to India for like five weeks just to serve the poor in Mother Teresa's orphanage, like that kind of like crazy stuff, just because I wanted to be like Jesus. I wanted to follow him in every area of my life. And that quickly led me into church planning because I saw that's what Paul did with his life. thought that's what just Christians do. They plant churches. They, you know, evangelize in hard places. And that led me to Southeastern Seminary, which led me to Imago Dei, which led me to you, which then we got sent out to plant Redemption City Church about two years ago. Mm -hmm. So... And when you came to visit Southeastern, I was preaching in uh, uh, preview day, right? And I think yeah. you, uh, you've mentioned before you were surprised that I was the preaching professor because I didn't I didn't look like a preaching professor, right? What do you mean by that? Exactly. Man? Well, uh, I saw tattoos. I'm like, well, I, I expected, no offense, I kind of expected like some pasty white dude with glasses, you know, like <laughs> 60s preaching like kind of a drier sermon. I see a guy with a beard and tattoos quoting like old school hip-hop and i'm like who is this guy but i remember like that was so big for me because hearing you preach at chapel at a seminary and i remember leaving that sermon and telling my wife i want to be able to do what that guy just did because he just explained what the text said in a way that made sense but in a way that was so relevant to my life and now i love jesus more and in some ways i i realize how broken i am but then I have so much confidence and faith in what Christ has already done, and it's spurring me to do what the text said. And I just remember leaving that thinking like, okay, I'm coming here to learn from that guy. And by God's grace, that's what happened. Mm. Yeah, man. Well, I'm quoting Run DMC to start the sermon off this Sunday. So <laughs> nice. uh, that, that, that trend continues. Um, we need to update your quotes, bro. We like we need to get some like Drake in there, nah. you know, maybe nah. some Jay-Z. No, it's the old stuff, man. It's the old <laughs> stuff. That's where the magic is. All right. You gotta have the shell toe Adidas 
uh, yeah. Uh, occasionally, I'll bring the new stuff in, but that's usually through my kids that I, I'll learn about uh, learn about all that. I quoted Halsey last week. In oh my yeah, sermon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> um, now tell the listeners about your church. I've had the privilege of preaching there two or three times, and uh, look forward to going back this year. And I just love what's happening. So give us an update. Yeah, so uh, we're in Baltimore City uh, in a neighborhood called Canton. Um, we left Imago Day. We're sent from Imago Day with uh, 10 people, and we started meeting in a living room in uh, it was like August of 2017, I believe. Launched public services March of 2018, and uh, <clears throat> we've just steadily grown since we started in the living room, and now. Uh, we're starting to get some momentum, added some staff, uh, run out, running out of space, about to do two services. Um, yeah, I saw your uh, Instagram account. It was packed Sunday. How many did you guys yeah. have in there? Uh, it was 183 people, awesome. which we were not, we were like bringing out broken chairs. People were like, there's a line of people standing in the back. Hmm. Uh, and it's pretty unheard of for Baltimore City for that kind of growth and where yeah. I'm as surprised as everybody else. I don't, it's not me. It's nothing like anything yeah. in, ingenious that we, we've done. Yeah. It's a I hard place, that, right? To, to yeah. take the listeners there. What's your context like? Sure. Uh, well, Canton, the neighborhood we're in is packed with people. There's 14,000 people in half a square mile radius. So you've got like row homes upon row homes upon row homes with like three to five people in each row home. So there's so many people. And uh, Baltimore is just known to, as a hard place to plant churches. I, I've had multiple guys tell me over a hundred people in Baltimore is a mega church um, uh-huh. because of the transience, because of the spiritual darkness. Um, and in our neighborhood on, alone, there have been uh, three guys that have tried to plant, and it just couldn't get off the ground. Hmm. Uh, so I remember before we planted, I'm like, I don't know if we should do this, hon, to my wife because I got. I don't see how this is going to get off the ground. It hasn't worked like two or three times before us. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've really, uh, the heart of our church is to just center, be centered on the gospel and just preach the scriptures. That's all we've done. Mm-hmm. And we found, like, guess what? The gospel still works. You just mm-hmm. preach it clearly in a way people can understand, mm-hmm. bring in culture and, and in their mm-hmm. context and just go verse by verse through the Bible and like people just keep coming and bringing their friends and they stay and they want to know what the Bible says. It's crazy. Like that's our ingenious strategy. Teach the Bible and preach the gospel every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it still works in the 21st century in a post-contact, post-Christian context. Amen. It's, it's just brilliant, man. It's beautiful. And you just, a lot of these folks that are coming in have never heard the word expository probably, mm-hmm. um, but they know you're just wor- working through the text and they're just eating it up. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I, I think the temptation is to meet a felt need in your preaching, mm-hmm. uh, which is is helpful at times. We do that every now and then. Mm-hmm. But uh, God gave us His Word. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like we would call the verbal plenary method that God used authors uh, and their personalities to speak His truth. And if it's really God's Word, why not trust Him that mm-hmm. it's sufficient? to meet the needs mm-hmm. of people. And so, mm-hmm. obviously, you have to do the hard work of understanding the text well and connecting mm-hmm. it with the audience, bridging the gap, as preaching books would say. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the, the punch 
is so much more powerful when you, you get your points from, straight from the text. Like, wow, that is literally what it says, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And people come hungry every week just like, I want to hear what the Word says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like what Dever says. Like, when you do more topical, you limit your teaching to what you already know. Mm-hmm. But when you preach God's Word verse by verse, you're just expounding what God has already said and mm-hmm. bring it to bear on people's lives. And yeah. we found it works. Yeah. Now, obviously, the, the teaching component's been huge. I know you guys have also done a lot of stuff outside the kind of church walls, as it were, um, neighbor love. What's that look like in Baltimore? What have you guys been doing? Sure. I mean, the big phrase I use uh, is ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And I got that from somebody else somewhere. Uh, but really, the heart of it is, like, I, I, this is a big thing that I've, um, I've found is so many church planners that I know and, and have, have talked to, don't know what a church is. Hmm. They think it's starting a service. I think I've heard you call it like the if you build it, they will come mm-hmm. type model of church planning. Like if you just put on a great show, people will come. Problem is, problem is in urban post-Christian context, no one's looking for a service. Mm-hmm. And so neighbor love for us and the, the way we reach people is by meeting needs, by loving them where they are. And the biggest commodity in our neighborhood, the biggest need is community. People are just looking for friends they can hang out with and, and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And is there a better community than the, the local church mm-hmm. where you're fully loved, fully accepted by the gospel, but then also the hard truths are spoken to you in a gentle way? Uh, and so really we've just told our people, like, create an environment of community and use the things in your calendar that you're already doing and infuse it with gospel intentionality. So, uh, like... On your calendar, if you play basketball, if you use the gospel into your basketball time, invite somebody into uh, your gospel community when you're playing basketball with them. Hey, come hang out with us on Wednesday nights. Or share the gospel with them after the, the, the game. Uh, the restaurants you frequent, bring invite cards and invite the, the waiter and mm-hmm. give them a good tip. Mm-hmm. It's really just, we want to, cr- as uh, Dever said this, um, create a compelling community. And the community is actually what draws people. We have people in each other's homes all the time and uh, infusing gospel intentionality to everything they do. Mm-hmm. And that's led to a lot of the growth. And they come hear the word on Sunday and they're convicted and they want to hear more about this gospel. Like, wait, mm-hmm. I, I receive perfect salvation and, and righteousness just by believing? That's crazy. And people keep coming to hear that. That's good news, yeah. yeah. Now, you use basketball, and that's a real-life example for you, right? Because you, you want to be a basketball player and you, you play a lot. You say, I want to be a basketball player? <laughs> no, you uh, still got game. I know you yeah. got some game. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very average. As good as like a half Middle Eastern guy can be a basketball, <laughs> that's how good I am. Uh, I'm pretty we, sure that's much offensive, of the, Adam. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> well, I'm half Middle Eastern, so I can say that. Actually, I'm, I'm quoting Arabs, my friend One, One, who always says, anything I say, he loves to come back with. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that's offensive, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, Arabs love basketball. They mm-hmm. love the NBA. They're just not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. Um, so when you're when you're talking about uh, 160-ish people, uh, 180 people, is that what you said? Um, and approaching two years now in, in urban Baltimore with no mm-hmm. gimmicks and just neighbor love and, and preaching the gospel. Um, what, what are you guys looking at now into the future? What you said, perhaps uh, two services, uh, but you also got a building opportunity, right? What's that about? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges in urban church planning is finding space. I mean, that's pretty much every church planner's challenge, but 
in an urban context, it's very expensive and very small. So that's one big thing. We actually just had a, a planning meeting today about our 90-day goals uh, for the next three months or so. Uh, really, where we're headed, two services, because we're running out of space. Uh, we, we need to grow more groups, because our groups are packed. We got like uh, we have six groups, with like 25 people in each of them. We have more people coming to groups than they do on Sundays. Wow. It's like 112% of our Sunday attendance is involved in a gospel community. Like I said, we're, we're big on community, doing life together. Um, so we gotta we got to expand the infrastructure to care for all these people. And uh, we need to add more elders. I'm training three guys uh, to hopefully onboard under our elder team. And uh, yeah, we just we want to uh, get some brick and mortar so we have some you know long-term uh, stake into the city. And we really want to in- increase uh, our orphan care ministry. There are 1,400 kids in foster care in Baltimore City right now, which I'm just not okay with. They're, they're housing kids in hospitals because they ran out of room in foster homes. Like mental facilities, kids are staying there. And they don't have mental problems. They just ran out of space. So, I mean, I want our church to lead out in orphan care, uh, social justice, um, things like diversity. We want to increase our... Um, just There's a huge divide in Baltimore City. Neighborhoods are segregated by race often. Like, you know, Canton, my neighborhood is is mostly white. And this is rooted in redlining historic racist practices in Baltimore City that have created a disparity of income and a disparity of like public education and healthcare. Like there's so many um, historic problems in Baltimore that have trickled down to today. And we want to start at least fighting some of these systemic issues uh, and, and partner with churches that have already been in Baltimore who are already doing good work to help create a new city uh, in Baltimore, um, it's already great, but you know, God's bringing a new city, hmm. a new heaven. So we want to help be part hmm. of that. It's hmm. awesome, man. Hey, um, so when you get prepared to do urban church planting, uh, you have certain things in your mind, right? Uh, certain, perhaps uh, apologetic uh, uh, um, philosophies, uh, ways of reaching neighbors, etc. But from your experience, how does the reality of urban church planting differ from your study of it? As a lot of people listening to this podcast are preparing to do the kind of thing you're doing. They're young. They're zealous. They love Christ. Uh, what's, what's your experience been like with that? In that <coughs> Sorry. Um, studying church planting versus doing church planting is kind of like studying firefighting versus doing firefighting. Once you're in the flames, it's like a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know about the crime in urban church planning, uh, but it's a whole other thing to be like at the gym and my wife calls me and says there was a murder next door, ten feet away from our house, mm-hmm. and you know the police knock on our door and ask for our camera footage. It's one thing to know about the transients in urban church planning. You know, like people say, something like 25% of your church will turn over every year, if not more. It's a whole other thing to, like, feel it. Like, here's this friend that I really like and love, but their their med school program is ending. Hmm. And they're gone. And I poured three years into them, and, or even two years into them, and they're gone. That hurts. Uh, so, like, just when you're actually doing it, it's just a lot harder than reading about it. Mm-hmm. And I talked. We did a Vision Sunday a couple weeks ago, and I just talked about some of the challenges we have faced and we will face 
in urban church planning. Like logistical challenges are so much, so difficult. Buildings, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people who come and go, who like are excited at first and then leave, and that kind of deflates the balloon, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then I found like satanic attack in urban church planning is crazy. Like all my friends who have planted churches have had serious health problems the first year or two or their kids have had health problems just like attack after attack after attack so i i always tell people if you want to plant a church don't do it unless you're ready for your life to be ruined like the quality and the ease of your life is just going to get wrecked you're just going to be tired all the time you're going to be often feel tempted to be discouraged all the time you're going to feel alone frequently and you're just going to have challenge after challenge mm-hmm. so the utmost importance is that you are close with Jesus, that you're just walking with Him and following His Spirit every single day and just enjoying Him. And you, the gospel isn't stale. It's it's like fresh, and I'm still weeping, and I'm still laughing, and it's still mm-hmm. new to me. Mm-hmm. That You have to have those core foundations mm-hmm. and able to endure in this. I'm two years in, so I'm not, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. a model of endurance, but... Uh, yeah. What are you doing to to keep some good rhythms uh, now, two years in, in terms of rest and recreation and so on, family? Well, I wasn't year one, and I was getting wrecked. My wife was suffering. Because you just feel so much pressure. Like, the funding is going to run out. You know you have a time clock ticking. People come and go, and you just want to—you feel like you have to work, work, work to keep them. Uh, new people. Um so much need, so you just get tired easy. So I wasn't taking a day off, I wasn't vacationing, and I had older brothers who just spoke in my life and saying like, Adam, you want to do this for 40 years, not two. Uh, and I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually started setting rhythms like Monday, entire day is off. Uh, Friday is family day, take two days off a week. Uh, and. I just try and have fun. Like I play basketball. I like watching documentaries on Netflix and regular shows like The Office. Just have fun. Uh, hang out with other church planning friends and just chill. Um, smoke cigars on my rooftop deck. Uh, hang out with my wife. Take her on dates. Just enjoy each other. Play board games. Yeah, taking a, a long view has really helped because I, I would have burned down if I kept that first year pace. Mm. Yeah, I got a text message yesterday from a church planter that's about two years in as well, and he, he uh, described to me how he felt on Mondays and how he just um, he collapsed, he said, at 3 p.m. on Sunday. He was so tired every week. And then um, uh, Monday he just had no energy, and he said, what advice do you have? <laughs> and I said, welcome to the pastorate. That's right. Uh, I don't know if that was the best <laughs> advice. I'm going to hopefully talk to him later. <laughs> That's but, right. Uh, I've been doing it since, well, for 16 plus years now. And uh, I'm, I've been drained every Monday since I've been a pastor. And it's not, I'm not crying about it, you know. Um, it's just part of the job. And uh, I think I think you do learn um, how to be productive when you're tired. Um, you, you learn when you need to rest. Uh, when, you know, building these rhythms that you're describing are so important. Everybody's different, you know. Um, I think preaching is particularly exhausting, in my, my own opinion. Um, so I think it's important uh, what you're describing there, taking the long view. Um, we do want to do this for 40 years, by God's grace. Um, 
And we need to remember that church planters are people too. Well, you know, we're not machines. We need the same, we need the same things our, our people need. Um, we need community. We need, we need right. recreation. We need, we need love. We need, we need to enjoy life. Ecclesiastes, I found, is a really relevant book for church planting as we're preaching through it. Just how to, en- how to enjoy the small things in life, uh, this life under the sun, and it's really easy just to get in machine mode and production mode and achievement mode and just just destroy ourselves. I completely agree. I think a lot of it, too, is a mindset thing because church planners are entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, they're leaders, usually. They should be. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get in the mindset of, I have to work to, to create the production. Yeah. And it's it's worth working through your theology of prayer and your theology of God's sovereignty and Amen. God's role in building the church. Amen. Because you're going to be so much more tired if the pressure's on you. That's good, man. That's good. Which I had to learn the first year. I'm just going to kill myself if I keep thinking, like, it's up to, like, this, how this conversation goes with this person who's not really committed but it's coming, it's all on me. It's mm-hmm. not on God. It, mm-hmm. it You may not think about it, but it could be intrinsic in the way you're approaching it. And mm-hmm. so... After a year, like after six months in, I just really had to like, okay, I need to pray more. I'm not praying enough. I'm not trusting God enough. I think I trust myself way too much here. It's good. It's good, man. Hey, last question. Uh, What would you like, uh, uh, or let's think resources, Uh, resources that's helped you. It may be in regard to this issue here of rest and uh, rhythms, but other resources for church planters. Again, I'm thinking of uh, the guys who are aspiring to church planting, or maybe pastors who have guys in residencies. Um, you know, you came through our our world at IDC, but you've also been uh, blessed and helped by a number of other people outside of uh, of my context. So, any resources that that you'd recommend? Yeah, uh, pretty much anything you gave me is what I'd recommend. Uh, I took your church planting class, and I did your residency, so. You gave me most of the books that I, I lean on. Center Church by Tim Keller is a must-read. You're probably going to hear that one often from people who planted churches. Just going to help you learn what it means to build your church on the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can carry the weight of what the church is all about. You can't build your church on evangelism. You can't build your church on discipleship. You can't build your church on having healthy marriages. You build your church on the message of the gospel, and those things flow from that. Mm. That was huge for me. Mm. Uh, Total Church by Steve Timison. Uh, Tim Chester was big on, like, the church needs to be a community where everyone is sharing the gospel and inviting people into their lives. It's mm-hmm. not a service. It's not an event. It's not a building. It's a people. Uh, another big one was um, bi- uh, Biblical Foundations for Baptist Churches by John Hammond. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was key because you need to know what a church is if you're going to start and build one. Mm-hmm. That was big for me. Mm-hmm. Preaching by Tim Keller, just engaging lost contexts and, and skeptics in your preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ton of books, man. Imperfect Pastor by Zach Eswan was a good, like, you know, trusting God's sovereignty mm-hmm. and, and prayer type book. But honestly, books are key. I would say mentors and coaches are the best resource you can have. And don't trust one person to be your fix-all mentor because no one has the knowledge or the expertise or the wisdom to carry the weight of all the information you need in your church planning journey. Find like seven people that you go to to lean on. Uh, Like you're my theology and preaching guy, and any big thing, I'll come to you. But I don't go to you for administration. I don't go to you (laughs) – I go to Matt Sigmund for administration. I go to Brian Laughlin on leadership and administration. 
Uh, I go to Greg St. Cyr for um, counseling and leadership. I go to Dan for um, Baltimore City information. Like, I, I got seven different people in my Rolodex for seven different things because they're all, all experts in that specific topic. Uh, and so have a ton of people you've, you've asked and regularly meet with to seek counsel for because it's impossible for you to know everything you need to know. I don't know a thing about real estate or building. So how am I supposed to buy a building and like make a good real estate deal and do the construction? I need people to help me. So I got mentors to help me with that, you know? Yeah. So find good mentors, find a good network to be a part of, preferably Acts 29, and learn from them. Be really teachable. That's the number one thing. Like, mm-hmm. Be always willing to learn and, and grow. And we can rest in the gospel. Even if we don't measure up, even if we don't know something, it's okay because Jesus was perfect for us. So have some humility and learn from a lot of people. Amen. That's so good, man. Um, that's so good, especially just the, the whole the whole principle there that you're sharing about teachability. Um, uh, it's, it's a word for all of us, not just guys who are starting to plant and those who are, you know, two years in like Adam. Um, but we're all lifelong learners, uh, reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 13, uh, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish King who no longer knew how to take advice. Um, so many examples, especially in the book of Kings of Kings who started well and ended terribly. And I don't want to be the guy who no longer knows how to take advice. So let's be humble. Let's be teachable. Um, that's uh, a necessity if we're going to be faithful leaders. So, Adam, thank you for reminding us of that and many more things here, brother. Lots to be encouraged about. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, uh, lift Adam up today and uh, pray for uh, Redemption City Church in Baltimore. Thanks for being on the podcast, brother. It's an honor, man. Thankful to talk with a guy who's had such an influence on my life. Love you big time. Thanks, brother.